Good evening, Patriots, and it's Friday, August 26th in the year 2022. Those of you on the East Coast, you're already on Saturday. I'm still liking Friday, and I'm liking Friday a lot because right at this moment, I'm at the Nugent concert, which is cool, and I'll tell you all about it tomorrow, and then tomorrow night, I'm going to get the privilege of being at the last Ted Nugent concert on this tour in Fredericksburg as well, so I'm going to get like Uncle Ted like in my brain in big ways. So, Patriots, you know, the last few, this last week, I've been playing these interviews at night and both shows, and they're all from the Springfield event, the Moment of Truth Summit that was put on by Mike Lindell last weekend. And once again, we have another two great interviews. This one is from an attorney who's been fighting the deep state for years on election fraud. I think, he, I think you'll find he's just been fighting it since the late 70s, which is amazing. And he's, he is a surprise package. He's an older man. I think he's 94 years old. And we have another patriot who is a Blackhawk pilot in Afghanistan who has been organizing local groups throughout states to vet candidates, and they've also been doing canvassing. Now, just as a footnote on this, I've met the Montana group that he set up, and they are top-notch. And the biggest thing about this is everybody you're going to find is being called by God. This is what's so amazing. So this is really a time to be listening. And you've heard me say this over and over, but God is calling those that will come, not just stand. And it's in time for us to listen and to respond to what he's doing. It's such a powerful time. So, Patriots, with that, let me begin then with tonight's part seven of these interviews. I think you'll enjoy them. They're, They're rich. They're great people. These are just good Americans doing what Americans have always done being ungovernable and being defiant and standing up for what is right and true within God's eyes. Here we go. 
Patriots, we are back here live at Mike Lindell's event, Moment of Truth, the Moment of Truth. And uh, we're going to get Mike Lindell on. I don't. I just spoke with Caitlin, his assistant, and she's wonderful. And I don't know if we're going to get him on today or tomorrow, but we're definitely going to get him on, and that's good. And we're still working on Lower Logan. Don't know if I can get Steve Bannon on. I don't think he's doing any sort of interviews this weekend. We are going to get Joe Hoff on. That's coming up, and that'll be probably tomorrow. I'll get Joe S., the brother of Jim Hoff. We had Jim Hoff on earlier, and that was awesome. We've had Dr. Eric Naputi on today. We had just a lot of great people, and this is just really good. So we'll also get more constitutional sheriffs on. Uh, that last sheriff we had, which was the sheriff of Logan County, Oklahoma, that's Sheriff Damon Devereaux. Damon Devereaux. He, and you can, you can look him up. He's, I was looking up his, you can just go to his county webpage. And he's a, he gets it. And nice thing, the really reassuring thing to hear is that as a, he's one of the top people in the National Association of Sheriffs. And what he's saying, which I love to hear, is that sheriffs are waking up to the threat and starting to take the constitutional stand. That's, that's great news because we need advocates at the county level. You've heard me talk about this all the time. And what I also love is the fact that yeah, while you've heard me talk about it, what you just heard from Sheriff Devereaux is that he's one that's making sure that his constitutional authority is getting enforced. So as he said, is if you are an IRS agent or a federal agent, you are going to stop by his office before you do anything in the county. And that's what we need from every one of our sheriffs. We have a massive federal overreach going on. We know that. And that federal overreach is literally just putting all citizens ill at ease because the real threat that we have, the real threat that we have is a federal government that has bloated itself and is ripping off taxpayers from every time they can and turning it against us as a weapon system. Now, there is an interesting idea that and I, I asked him that in the interview. And it was the idea of what would happen if people stopped paying their taxes and instead paid the sheriff the taxes they would pay and how, how he felt about that. And the thing is, and I'm sure that's a delicate situation because you're putting a sheriff in a place to say, well, the federal can go pound sand. Well, the fact of the matter is, what he pointed out is sheriffs have to gain all their own funding from the county. And I'll tell you, I would be all for this. I'd gladly pay my sheriff fees to help him get a better sheriff's department rather than the garbage that we're dealing with right now and paying the federal and that's going to turn it against us. That's just not acceptable. So anyway, that, that's, that's kind of where we're at in a nation that we're struggling with how to deal with. The one issue that we struggle with how to deal with is our, is our taxes. And that's what they want you to constantly feel threatened by so that you pay them so they can continue to weaponize a system that paid, for, paid for by taxpayer dollars. And, that, and that's literally it. And until we start to get the heart of this and start to really understand what we have to do to stop this. You're not going to stop the beast unless you stop feeding the beast. And we're, we're there. I mean, what can I say? We've got... It's, it's hard for us, I think, as Americans to make that stand because everyone's afraid they're going to go to jail. That's what they want you to feel. They're afraid you're going to get some sort of punitive action. And it's just not acceptable that we have a federal government that is using the money to weaponize its own agency to force more money out of us in an unconstitutional act to begin with, which taxes are an unconstitutional act. 
That's it. So we have got to, we literally have to start making some efforts to cut down the federal government's issue. And their ability to weaponize it. So anyway, that's, that's where my little, as I'm thinking here and looking around this room with a lot of people, a lot of people moving around. It's busy. It's a busy day here. I, I think people are getting ready for the, the, the film debut is what I think. So we're going to have to see what's going to go on. So we have a moment in our time and what I, I, where we are going to have to understand as a nation in order to win this, we have got to return to God. These issues that they're pointing out here, there's one thing that's consistent. It's that everything that's going on up here is bigger than us, and it is a system that is massive. So for us to win, and it's, we have to turn our trust into God first. And that's really what my big focus is on this point of being here. And what I'm amazed at is that every person we've had on here is recognizing that. And that says a lot because they're not, they're not all listeners of Bards FM. And even if they were, I wouldn't necessarily expect that. But people are seeing it. And people are starting to talk it and be strong with it and realize that literally, like, God is the only way forward here. And I, I mean, as believers, we can say that. But to start hearing it in the speech as normal again, I, it, it makes me feel fantastic. It's like we are going backwards in a great way. We have to go back to go forward. It's like we're going back to the time of our founding fathers where there is this really great sense of what has to happen. And it's learning. People are learning their constitution. They're knowing their constitution. I mean, I'm learning stuff here at a phenomenal rate of people that are have studied it, has studied this constitution more than I have and are teaching it. And that's fantastic. They're not having to get a degree at school. None of that. They're just, just taking it upon themselves. They're studying, they're learning, they're doing. It's absolutely incredible. So I, I think that that is something that should inspire everyone. And hopefully everyone will start looking at it that way and start realizing that in our house, we better have a constitution like we have a Bible. And more importantly, the constitution is the Declaration of Independence. That is, that's, the, to me, and I've said this many, many times, the, the Declaration of Independence to me is a far more important document than any of them because it's the founding document. It's the document that sets up moral law in our nation. And it's the one document that gives us the, all the authorities, our God-given rights and our need to throw off forms of despotism to choose another form of government. And that's literally where we are. And that other form of government means we, we are cleaning out this muck that has infected our system of selfish people that we just absolutely have no room for. And we've got to get away from the people that are self-consumed and get away from, get back to the people that are there to serve the people. And that's going to be very, very critical. And I'll tell you what, it's pretty neat here walking around. I'm looking here. We've got another sheriff over here. I mean, I've been seeing sheriffs all day. And, and the best part about it is these are sheriffs that are all walking around with cowboy boots, guns, and, and hats. By the way, this is uh, Missouri, I'm told, is normal. We're guns, guns, lots of them. We need lots of them. And <laughs> we have got to have, well, I tell you, I'm ready to see one more riding here on a horse. 
That'd be all right with me. Like, hey, what's going on there, boys? Take a rope. Start roping up some Antifa. There were some Antifa out here a little earlier. And it's interesting. And it, I was told there was Antifa. And I, was, I think it was Duncan that told us there was Antifa. And then we were on the show, and I said, okay, let's pray for it. And Antifa vanished. And here's, here's why I say that. Because Antifa wasn't there threatening political stuff. They were all there denouncing God. And then all of a sudden they got scattered to the wind. I'm like, good. Let's, let's get rid of them. They are, I swear these Antifa are all soy boys. And that, they are ridiculous. If they, if they met some real patriots, they'd put up a little bit of a fight and then they'd be running like, like little dogs. I, and here's, here's how this would be. This is a real story too, actually. I used to have an, a big Newfoundland. She was about 135 pounds, 38. She was pretty great. But when she was a pup, uh, I was teaching her how to land track. And there was a Newfoundland group where we would teach, go out every week and we would teach them to land track, which is tracking, literally. They, they have the most amazing sense of smell and there are dogs that like, wa- they like water. So while there's a lot of good tracking dogs, they're not well exploited for tracking, but they're a fantastic dog to turn into a tracking dog. So anyway, there is, I, I had my dog in the kennel in, there, in the crate waiting for her turn and I was walking around observing how they were doing the training with two dogs and they were both, they were mother and daughter. And they were way out ahead and we were in this open area and on the hill above, there was this pack of wild dogs and, I, and I'm not exaggerating, it's about 20 dogs that were all packed up and they started charging over the hill at the two Newfoundlands. And I was like, oh, this is going to get ugly. And it was the most amazing thing to watch. And this is when you get like the understanding of presence and confidence. And so this pack of dogs comes running over and they're all snarling and they're barking and they're running at this, these two Newfies. And both of the, one was sniffing, was tracking. So she was smelling her way through and they both paused and the daughter raised up her head and just looked at the pack and the mother paused and the pack, I, and it's like something you saw out of a cartoon and I'm not exaggerating. The pack like hit the brakes, feet extended, squealing into the ground and they all stopped and then they started squealing and running away and the Newfoundland didn't do anything but look at them. See, that's presence. I was like, man, that is, that's some serious presence because the dogs were like, mm, not going to work. That's, that's the sort of what we got to be doing to the deep state. It's like, mm-hmm, let me show you what's going to happen. So it's, it's not going to fly with the deep state if we're going to hold our ground. That's just it. And, and really, literally, when we talk about standing, we're standing with God and we're standing with Christ, the enemy's going to get crushed anyway. So, you know, what can I say? Pages, I'm going to grab a quick commercial here. I'll be right back and uh, going to find out what we're going to have next coming up. So hear about some all-terrain four-wheel drive super-duper slippers. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and due to your incredible support, the original My Slippers are almost completely sold out. As a special thank you, I am launching my brand new all-season slippers, slides, and sandals for as low as $29.98. This is a limited time offer, so go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get all my new footwear for as low as $29.98. My all-season slippers are made with my exclusive four-layer design that you won't find in any other slipper. They're finished with a breathable fabric so you can wear them all year round. 
And my new slides and sandals are made with patented impact gel, making them ultra comfortable and extremely durable. I guarantee they'll be the most comfortable footwear you'll ever own. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now to get your very own all-season slippers, slides, and sandals for as low as $29.98 with your promo code. This is an introductory offer, and it won't last long, so order now. Patriots, that's MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Promo code. I bet you don't even know what the promo code is. I'll surprise you. It's Bards. There you go. Hey, I've got another guest coming up here in just a minute, and you're going to have to bear with me a little bit because these guests are coming in so fast. That I I don't even know some of their names, so I'm gonna have I just have them introduce themselves. But we're gonna get some good people in here, and again, just keep this rolling. These the movie selection code is gonna be started here pretty quick. Right up here, it was, I'm gonna get a little background on this interesting gentleman here, and um, so here he comes. We'll get him hooked up. How you doing, sir? You put those headphones on. Put these on right here. Yep. Yeah, it's okay. I'll turn up the volume for you. Walter Charles. Can you hear okay? Yes, I think so. Okay, went just down there, and there's your mic. Okay. A little closer to the mic. Like that? Yeah, there you go. How about that? That's perfect. All right, so... I, I'm, you're going to have to help me along here. I'm just, they said you're a great guy to talk to, so I'm going to start there. And it's Walter Charlton, is that correct? Walter Theodore Charlton. Walter Theodore Charlton. I am an auditor. An auditor. Attorney. Attorney. Oh, I like this. CPA. <laughs> You've got all the, all the marks. Sue the government. Now you're talking our language. Lots I sue the government. I, I, now, we're, now we're really listening. <laughs> I beat... The, Fed, the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. You beat the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System? Yes, once. Okay, now we got I, ourselves a story. I beat, I beat the GAO once. I proved that the GAO and the Board of Governors data that started the swamp was all fake. Wow. I was overruled by Merrick Garland. And, and and Judge Emmett Sullivan, Emmett Sullivan fined me $8,900 for not doing the right thing that he wanted against the Board of Governors. And I thereby became a believer that the government was corrupt. But I also beat... In about 1991, uh, Robert H. Mueller, when he f was in charge of framing a friend of mine and his, a friend of mine's brother in the Stone Oak National Bank case in Austin, Texas, in front of U.S. District Court Judge Sam Sparks, in which the FBI was complicit but dismissed from the case that was a jury trial you know there's so but basically i'm here today because all of that started the swamp because 
the GAO auditors, about 10,000 of them that I still represent as a class action, the old ones that knew what they were doing, were all fired. They were fired because Congress wanted to steal. And they could not steal when the greatest audit organization in the whole world was checking up on things, including the military and everything else. So that's that's where I'm coming from. But that's history, okay? Yeah, but see, this is the thing. And, and if there, Now I'm going to bring you current, if you want. Well, we'll get there in just a second. Sure. So here's the, the first thing. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, so this is one of these moments, like, I'm literally a little bit speechless, which is pretty rare for me. They know because I can talk just about anything. You're, you've just had hit some of the biggest hitters you've had you've had in your face, and you've beat them, and people don't even know your name. I know. Uh, well, they're gonna know it now. My goodness, it's Walter Theodore Charlton. Yep. Don't forget that name, Patriots. Walter Theodore Charlton. This is a name to remember. All right, I got to tell you a funny story. Oh, please. So in Omaha, I, I met General Flynn, and uh, I just had him for a second, and I said, General Flynn, I, I'm glad to meet you because I think you're the only guy in the world that Judge Sullivan hates more than me. <laughs> and he looked at me with a, a startlement on his face, and he said, quote, that's really good. I'm going to take that home to my wife. <laughs> and I think I've been a, always been an admirer of General Flynn, but Judge Sullivan is not one of my favorite people. You've met some of our most hated people, and and that's fantastic. Well, I had a, when I was sitting in in, a, in the hearing where Judge Sullivan zapped me for eighty nine hundred dollars for not following his instructions, essentially in that Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System case, I had sitting beside me the daughter. And the daughter, when I met her, was about three feet high, a child of my lead plaintiff, Cynthia Artis. Her name was Lynetra. This was a group of African-American ladies from the Board of Governors. It was an employment discrimination case. And Lynetra said to me, while the judge was ranting and raving and turned a shade of deep purple right in front of us, she says to me, Mr. Charlton, why does he hate you so much? <laughs> and I said, that's just the way he is. <laughs> so anyway, that's background. Yeah, so let's get current. All right, so sitting next to me here is Natalie Abbas, who's been acting as my paralegal. Yesterday, we filed the first amended complaint to a complaint I filed against the state of Maryland and Zuckerbucks and 22 counties in Maryland for election fraud as a uh, multi-district RICO double class action. That is class of plaintiffs 
It's all the disenfranchised voters. Nice. Against all the crooks as a RICO conspiracy matter with a lot of data. Now, it was filed on July the 4th because it has a historical ring to it. Yes. And at the time we filed the, the case, we did not know, I did not know, Natalie did not know, none of us knew about Douglas G. Frank or his theory of essentially everything. Right. I mean, you put all of this garbage we've been listening to, all of the frauds, thousands of frauds, thousands, hundreds of different types of frauds, put them all together. It's got to have a central control. Yes. The mystery to me was, as an auditor, how the hell did they do this? How is this possible? I could not figure it out after getting zapped with all these people and watching it since 1985. I couldn't understand how this could be done. But Dr. Frank nailed it. It blew my mind, frankly. So we decided, Natalie and I decided, we are going to file an amended complaint for injunctive relief. I've already filed two applications for TRO, which were denied. I expected it because we hadn't served the people. There were a lot of technical reasons for that, but we filed an amended complaint yesterday at 11.30 p.m. here, and we incorporated all of Frank's theory into our myriad of fraudulent acts and conspiracies that really, really amount to a RICO all the way across the country. In every state where Zuckerberg and everybody else who's doing this operates, there's still a mystery as to exactly who these people are. So the question is, what are these people who did this to us? My guess, and this is speculation, but we know about Soros. My guess is we have just, we, everybody here, and Frank, and every state, and all the stuff we've been listening to, we have uncovered the greatest conspiracy that ever existed. And the reason it existed is because it's so technically perfect. Yeah. It's just like Joe Biden said in front of national television. As, and this is a, I'll put quote marks around it, but this is about what he said, and I saw him with my own eyes, but I don't trust my memory that good. He said, we have created the neatest, most complete fraud on elections that ever existed. And that is a true statement. They did a marvelous, wonderful job of cheating everyone. Yes. And it's, it's not just nationwide, it's worldwide. 
I mean, what we got here is something that's wild and crazy. And the big question that remains is, let's assume our lawsuit goes forward and we win and, and we prove the fraud and we, we get an injunction and we stop the destruction of evidence. Who the hell is going to enforce it? That's the question. Here we are in a country where the Department of Justice is corrupted, the FBI is corrupted, the CIA is corrupted, the NSA, maybe, I don't know. I mean, assuming everything we say is true, who's going to enforce it? Is God going to come down with his angels and enforce it? I'm, I, 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 you know, I don't know about that. But it could happen. Yes, it Because it's right in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> and so I'm having a marvelous time participating in this. This is Natalie Abbas, and we worked our butts off for the last three or four days trying to get the front end of our lawsuit in there with Frank because that explains it all. And all of the rest of this is marvelous evidence. And the evidence is, a, is legion, as the lawyers are wont to say, with some trepidation. Yes. I think that's, did I say it all, Natalie? That's about it, and we're having a ball, and it's a very, very, very scary situation. For the nation. For everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Democrats, Republicans, it don't make it. This has got nothing to do with Democrats and Republicans. It has to do with crooks. Yep. It has to do with God and the devil and the bad guys against the good guys. And the evidence just in this room tonight, and we haven't even got to the good part tomorrow, it's overwhelming, totally overwhelming. No one with any sense would think there was not a conspiracy here. I agree with you. Now, can, we, can we get a federal judge to say this? Well, we shall see. We shall see. Explain RICO a little bit, because this is one of these things that people don't really understand oh, well. Oh, wow. RICO. Now, you have just asked me a question, which is the second most complicated question you can <laughs> ask in the law. I'll try, to, I'll try to answer it, because okay. I have filed two or three RICO cases of, against various RICO organizations in Washington, D.C., I'm a, I'm a member of the bar of the Supreme Court. I'm a D.C. bar, barred with, in federal courts, including the state of Anyway, RICO is a strange federal statute in that nothing else in the Constitution or the criminal laws of the country, federal laws, and state laws. They don't cover a fraud situation where multi, where, where unincorporated individuals can cheat, lie, kill people, launder money, take your constitutional rights away, kidnap people, and do stuff like that. It was originally 
established to, to take out the mafia. But they wrote this law in a, in a very, very broad fashion. For example, the statute of limitations goes back 10 years. You can start with things that happened 10 years ago, and that's part of the RICO pattern. Wow, okay. Now, around 2009, there was a landmark case in the Supreme Court called Boyle. And when Boyle came out, the Supreme Court ruled that one of the things they did right in lately, and I count 2009 as lately. Anyway, Boyle essentially ruled that in, re, in, in, in the RICO statute, the intent under the Constitution was to sweep aside all of the federal laws and the federal restrictions and allow the courts, the federal courts, to decide things based upon what is correct. And so it's, it was a great step toward leniency of the restrictions of proving complex matters where lying, cheating, stealing, bribery, and, and murder, and all these things across state lines would be attackable by the federal government. And, and this Boyle thing was so important that the Department of Justice had to totally rewrite its rules on everyone in the whole country enforcing RICO matters. So the law changed dramatically with Boyle, and it's become very liberal. So it struck me and Natalie, that this is what this thing is about. This whole thing is nothing more than a huge RICO case on the subject of voter vote control integrity and proof. And their cheating schemes are only as limited as the imagination of crooks. And they have a great deal of imagination. Yes, they do. And that's a serious problem. That's a real problem. Second problem is, given it's all true, how are we going to fix it? Yeah. And that's a... So what we're saying is the courts, under their constitutional authority, and even maybe super constitutional authority, have the only path to constitutional a constitutional solution. You could call martial law and things like that and fix it, but then where are we? And I, I don't know, I haven't talked to President Trump, but I suspect that the white hats, as we call them, have such a plan, I certainly hope so. Anyway, that's what we're trying to do is our small piece of it. I'm gonna ask your age. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. How about 92? <laughs> and my cardiologist asked me, how long do you expect to live, Walter? I said, 140, and then I'm going to get my new body. <laughs> it broke him up. That's awesome. All right, and a little bit about your background. 
So, I mean, you are an attorney, obviously, part of the Bar Association. Okay, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a short one. All right. Okay, short one. At the age of 12, I used to build model airplanes. I think I flew the first flying wing in the history of the world. That is as a model. Okay. One of my best friends in, in high school was a guy who broke the world record on Model A airplanes. He's now dead. He used to work for NSA. I, uh, I took, I worked for six years as a rod man serving in the construction crew of the Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission. I went to McKinley Tech High School, which was the best high school on the East Coast when I graduated in 1947. Wow. Graduated from, I took a year and a half of engineering at Maryland and then switched to uh, accounting because my dad had just opened an accounting firm in Washington with some of the biggest banks as his clients. And I had my eyes on the bucks at that point in my career. I went to work after about five years of, C I got my CPA certificate and became an auditor and worked for 20 years as an auditor and system designer for at the dawn of the computer era. And, I, and then I became a troubleshooter for break, breaking down broke down computer systems, saved a few, and in the meantime went to law school for six years at night at George Washington University, got to be a lawyer, and had fun ever since. Dropped out of the CPA firm in 1970, and I've been doing crazy stuff ever since. That's and here, here we are. <laughs> That's the story right there. I'll tell you what. Well, Walter, thank you. Oh, welcome. Anything else you want to know? I, uh, even under cross-examination, I'm, I'm happy to... Uh, I, I'd, be, I, I'd love, for example, to have Judge Sullivan cross-examine me. Oh. oh, he also turned me in for ethical violations. Oh, him. Yeah. That's I, good. Oh, he was, that... he was wonderful. So I, I got to tell you this story. No, please. You'll appreciate it. And he's such a love figure, I, I can't help to... Help myself in returning the favor. So, so after he zapped me for eighty nine hundred dollars, which I paid, he then turned me into the ethics committee of the United States District Court for the District of Columbia for violation of of my ethics of one kind or another, having to do with these cases where the fake evidence he approved. Okay, right. And I didn't like that. And so I walked into the office of the, of the uh, lady in the U.S. District Court, and I said, what am I supposed to do with this thing? And she said, well, that's the complaint of the judge. It was about a three-page complaint. And he says, she, she says, he, he, he's complaining that you never took any depositions in the Board of Governors case, and I didn't, you didn't do your job right. And I pointed out to her that I had taken 38 depositions. <laughs> and she says, is that right? 38 depositions? That's a lot of depositions. I said, yeah, yeah it is. I, I, that, has he lost his mind or what? <laughs> and so, you know, 
a U.S. District Court judge losing his mind? Yeah, I guess that's possible. But I never said that over this interview. It's merely speculation. (laughs) So she said, I think you should write a letter saying that. So I did, and I sent the letter to the committee, and they said, yeah, I I guess that'll be the end of this case. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I've had a lot of fun. You sound like you've had a lot of fun. By the way, I'm a 92-year-old skier. Really? Downhill. And so is Natalie, by the way. Wow. All right. Well, this is you're, you're quite the man. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I wanna... need those pills. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's been an honor having you here. Yeah, it's been fun. Yes, Thank sir. You. Thank I you. I like for... the way you interviewed. <laughs> Thank you. It's been enjoyable. You have a very blessed day. Thank you. And God is going to be part of this. I bet you're going to be right up there in front with the popcorn and the, and the lawn chair as we saw those angels come down and start smoking them. Well, I'm telling you, I believe in that stuff. And Absolutely. I've had a lot of experiences. I've had the angels save my life twice. And yeah. you can't make that stuff up. No, you can't. God's definitely with us on this. Blessed day, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. As a Patriots, that was Walter Theodore Charlton. And you talk about an amazing man. I mean, this is one of these things that, I mean, who would have thunk it? Here's a guy that 92 years old, and he's literally taken on the federal government with his own. Just like, that's done. I'm going to just take him on. Rico, he, he, Judge Sullivan, he's confronted Judge Sullivan. Yeah, all, all the bad actors that we know and judges, this man is pretty much, including the current Garland dude. Inflation is real. The CPI is at another 40-year high, hitting 9.2%, and real inflation on daily goods, bread, milk, meat, gas for your car, even rents, are at over 30%. The recession is real. If all your money is in the market or tied up in U.S. dollars, you're messing with fire. It's critical for you to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver. That's where the professionals at Birch Gold come in. Text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 and get a free information kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, gold is the right investment to make now. Text BARDS to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with gold. And Patriots, we're back, and I've got another great guest here. I'll tell you, they just keep popping up all over the place, and it's really fantastic. So I'm going to, right here, we've got Darren Gobb. Darren Gobb. Now, here's the neat thing. He's got a grassroots organization for basically getting back liberty in this nation, but he was also a Blackhawk pilot. And uh, a little bit in Afghanistan. And so, like, we kind of understand the darker terrain of things. So it's good. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm happy to sit down for a little bit. Too. It's a <laughs> lot of walking around here. See, see I'm, I'm on the <laughs> other side of this because I just drove 30 hours out, and then I'm, like, going to sit for another 30 hours all weekend. So I was like, I'll, I'll take the walking around. We can swap. That's good. All <laughs> That's right, so let's start, let's, start where the, let's start with some fun stuff. First. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff. But Black Hawk Pilot, 10th Mountain. 
Afghanistan. Yep. You kind of saw the whole country from a different angle than I did. Yeah, it's uh, I had a good mix of jobs over there. I went over there as an intelligence officer in Kandahar, then a flight company commander in Bagram, Salerno. And I went back for a total of four trips, but uh, once as a strategic planner and then as a battalion executive officer back back in Kandahar. And so I got to fly the entire country. And yeah, so you did. You get to see the terrain up close and personal, but very fast. And and so when were you in Salerno? That would have been uh, two thousand. Uh, Late 2006 to 7. Okay, so I, I actually was over on the other side of that. I was, in, I was over in Zabal and in Kandahar area then. Yeah. And I okay. was in Salerno in 2008 and 2009. Okay. I was working out in and out of there, but that was, it's a, yeah. that's, that's a big base. Yeah, yeah, and now we've decided that uh, apparently we don't need it anymore and we're just going to let the Afghans, Chinese, and Taliban or whoever take it back and destroy, destroy yeah, that, it. Yeah, that, that's just some lunacy going on yeah. in there. I just can't. It, it is... I, don't, I think the country's numb a little bit from this because I don't think people comprehend the magnitude of what happened when that, that sort of just abandonment, you know, and, and the, the equipment, the trained personnel. I mean, it's, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah, and it's um, everything you hear, people heard in the news about how you do a non-combatant evacuation operation or, or NEO. Um, it's it's true as far as the way the way Trump had it set up versus the way it actually happened. I wrote that plan about how to do it out of Bagram for all the right reasons. I mean, it's geographically isolated, large air base, secure. Everybody can come to it because it's big enough. Everybody knows, and it's not in the middle of of uh, Kabul, which is absolutely the worst place to do it. And and it yep. obviously played itself out like that exactly as you would expect with all the chaos. Well, it, you know, I. I because of the nature of what I did, I've actually flown civilian in and out of there as well. Mm -hmm. And I've also done a lot of work. For a couple of months, I did a lot of work on a, a lot of the suburbs in Kabul. The traffic <laughs> in oh Kabul. I mean, just, just to move the embassy, the embassy to move from there in that straight line down to the airport yeah. would have to send out a forward team to clear everything so they could race the bus down there. Right. And, yeah. of course, we were. I was driving around on my own and, and my interpreter. I don't know if you've ever. Afghans like to go the opposite direction on traffic. Mm. Uh, it's like yeah, playing Frogger. Plenty of driving downtown. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like literally the real game of Frogger, and you're like, I'm actually doing this, and if I miss, it's not going to end up well. Right. Yeah. yeah. But when you take all that combined with people in panic trying to remove, it's nuts. No, it gets, it gets crazy, and yeah, I, I've experienced that not as much as you had, of course, on the ground. But uh, I also got to fly over uh, over Kabul with. Uh, airborne sniper platforms and stuff too and oh yeah so i mean it, it is a neat opportunity to see some different perspectives and either way you're sitting there just waiting for rpgs or kites or whatever to come <laughs> flying out of Kabul and take you down <laughs> yeah or anywhere else you are so that's absolutely true yeah, that's, <laughs> all right so let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now because i think this is fantastic you're, you're you're doing a truly grassroots bottom-up movement which i'm just massive fan of i mean i think it's the only way we really win let's talk a little bit about that Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, the background, of course, is I retired in August of 2019, and I wanted to do what retired military guys do after 28 years, which is not a lot. <laughs> uh, that lasted about 10 days. I started the job doing military funeral honors for uh, veteran funerals around the state, and uh, in that process, got involved in the GOP. I really started seeing more of what I, I think I saw when I was working at the White House or so when I was around 20 years old and just the, the, the true deep state nature of things, the true nationness of what's going on around us and said, well, you know, I, I like you took an oath to this nation 
to the Constitution, to the people, you know, not to a president or anything like that. And said, well, uh, my nature is I'm not going to sit back and watch and just complain. That, that never works. Right. So over time, I started building a just a trusted network of people. We didn't even know necessarily what all we were going to do, but, you know, people who trust each other can build plans, can do things, and restore liberty is the result of that. You know, we magnify the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, you know, the rights of the individual, the rights of the states or the federal government. We educate people on what the Constitution means. We uh, endorse candidates uh, who are not the lesser of two evils. We refuse to do that because that's still evil. Um, and, we, and the way we're structured to get at some of these things is, you know, we're a nonprofit 501c3 for the education side. We're a C4 for the endorsements. And we're a super PAC. And the super PAC is designed specifically to get at local candidates like school boards, commissioners, sheriffs, and judges. Um, yes. And we really wanted to build a foundation that would last for decades, counter the Soros agenda, and have the mindset that said, we want to win now. But this was done to us over decades, so we need to be able to be prepared for a marathon over decades and to return this to where it needs to go. Will we win? Maybe, maybe not. But you never win a fight you never engage in. So we're going to be there, and we're going to do that. And uh, we're working through the funding and a variety of other things to make it happen, but uh, we know we've got the right people because we're, we're veteran-founded. My co-founder is a retired Air Force uh, Brigadier General, um, but we are made up of moms and dads and tech nerds and all kinds of different things but uh, we thought the veterans and, and you know folks like us who come from certain kinds of backgrounds have special relationships to this country that the people can respect and get behind faster than they can get behind your average or typical politi- political leadership which they're supposed to be representatives right not leaders in, in charge of us they're just supposed to do what we tell them I, I think one of the big eye-openers for me as I and over the years has just been the level of I'm just going to use the term corruption in our senior leadership in the military and, and then senior leadership even that, that would merge into politics and is that especially shows up as well at the senior levels of military contracting right. and it's just a, a real problem because you, these are the people you would expect that would be into this for the fight of the nation and they're really into it more for the fight of their own bank account, and you know, to be. Right. And it's, uh, and I think that's where what you're talking about is so important because the real understanding of the fight that where veterans can lead is at this grassroots level, away from that. You're away from the flagpole, you're away from that sort of puzzle palace stuff, and we're kind of in there and just digging in deep. So this is. And how, are you in every state now? No, we're in uh, 36 states. Okay. Uh, we're, we're all volunteers. I mean, that's what I wanted to start with, was right. people who would be willing to do this kind of a fight on a voluntary basis and not lead with how much do I get paid. Right. Yeah. Motives questions are always at play. Um, the way we get connected, though, tends to alleviate most of that anyways. Uh-huh. But uh, I wanted to start out with the people and build the team as best as I could without funding support. For the, for the most part, Mike Lindell here in his legal offense fund actually gave, gave us our first start. Um, which allows me to travel and speak like this in places. But um, we flipped the script a little bit by building the team first and then talking to people who want to help us financially or in other ways, whatever works for them. I, I'm 100% behind that. I think that's the right way of doing it. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it makes it harder. Yes. I promise you that. But um, it, it's difficult to be principled, but it's also not. Right. Uh, one way or another, we're, we're at least going to stand in, in truth and on principle, even if we mess things up. Just, we're human. That's just well, I, I think the big thing you're hitting at to me, which is so significant, is when you start on principle, 
that walk is harder to climb, but then when you get to a certain point, I mean, you have the base that stays. Yeah. It's not driven by finances. You're not having the, you don't get really, the walls are built too to, to push back on the corruption that wants to come in and buy you off. Mm-hmm. And, and you really get that right root, which is good. Yeah. And you'll find that, um, I mean, you've got the Founders Bible sitting next to you right there. And uh, uh, we did not start out necessarily to be a, you know, a faith-based organization or use it as a witness test to join us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just how God put us together. That's how we gravitated together. And so when, if you were to see a line of all of our state directors, about five of which are actually in this room tonight, uh, you would it would be clear what we believe in and that we're unashamed about it too because uh, you know I call myself co-founder national executive director and you know all these other titles that just help other people understand but in the end I'm a distant far distant second place to God and if uh, if he doesn't call us to do it or or if he tends to do something specific, we're going to do it. And it, it, that's also hard for fundraising and things because they're, they're like, you know, w- you know, what do you see yourself in 20 years? I'm like, yeah, you know, in a month from now, I may not know what I'm doing because I'm following in faith. My team's following in faith. And oftentimes we're standing in a fog and going, he's just telling us to keep walking forward. Boy, it just okay. nails it so well. And I'm so much agreement in that. And it's um, his podcast is an only example. Three years ago. July, there were a hundred followers. Today, there's we'll hit thirty million downloads this week. Awesome, that's great, and that's God. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like let me just do this, right? And, right. and it's you don't really again. It's like you, you just like the podcasting. Like, all right, you want me to do this, and then it becomes everything, and then who knows what'll happen next year or next week, you know? But again, like your faith is there, and you're just following that, and it, it's it, what's it, I think it's what gives it the meat. If you will, right? Because right. I think we have to have that. So, are you are you also running a community education program, or is it? How does that work? Well, it's uh, we don't develop curriculum, and we don't have the resources and manpower. I guess you can say ultimately right now to do that. So, uh, we we have trusted people like the Patriot Academy, or we might use Hillsdale, whatever the person is comfortable with, and um, we'll we'll go out. Or oftentimes, it's in churches. And for the most part, that's where it's been happening is we'll send a person to meet with a group and, and educate them on, the, you know, the big picture, what the Constitution and Declaration, what those documents mean, and what, it, you know, that, what it means to have something inalienable, what it means that God gives you a right inherently and doesn't, the government doesn't grant you or therefore can't take it away. Um, and we, so we'll need a church. It doesn't matter. From nine months to 99 years old, we'll talk to anybody. And often we get educated, too. Uh, and that's a probably our longest term plan and the hardest one to achieve overall, because uh, we're also talking about people who are full-time employment during the day. Uh, so they do what they can. Some do, you know, 40 hours a week. Some do one hour a week. It's, we we get to what we can. Uh, but our goal is to just sometimes stop overthinking what the Constitution and Declaration mean and, and just be straight with it, because it, it is a plain reading document. Where do you see your military background adding value to what you're doing besides just the fact that you had experience? But I, is there is it a passion with the Constitution? Is it the eyes open because you've been in places where I've been where you've seen what happens? Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a lot there to unpack as far as what, what drives it. But uh, I think it's a combination of a global perspective. 
from having lived out in it, both me and my co-founder and, and some others within the organization that helps bring the reality of what's happening or happening around the world home. Uh, I think it's ex- experienced leadership. Um, I've commanded up to the brigade level, thousands of soldiers. And by doing so, you tend to develop the ability to not be overly emotional about every single thing that happens. And you also tend to uh, operate off of the military's idea of commander's intent and a vision and an idea and, and then be able to let folks, like as a national director, I work around the vision that we established, but what works in Pennsylvania doesn't work in New Mexico, doesn't work in Washington and, and all that goes. So we're used to people providing their own solutions to their own problems because they can do them better than we can. Uh, and I think that's probably the, some of the most valuable parts of everything we're doing. We're I, I think that's great. I mean, one of my big objections right now from a national point, besides the fact there's a bit of a void in predominant leadership. I mean, obviously Mike Lindell is up there with the great leadership. But in a lot of the void of leadership, one of the things we're missing is tasks and standards, which is kind of what you're hitting at. Because it, I, my personal opinion is there's been a measure of apathy that's settled in the American public, not because there's a lack of will, because there's a lack of tasks and standards to point you to what needs to be done. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this exact same thing today, conveniently. It's, I wonder who's in charge of that type of stuff. But um, <laughs> Exactly. Uh, as we listen to the themes and problems that have gone through all these states today, and I've, I've been around for all of it, so I've heard it all and been in deep into this project, but tasks and standards mean that you, you go through... Let's just say you're, you're looking at a car and you're trying to fix it and you're going through the troubleshooting steps. There certain things work certain ways and you've got to be trained to identify those problems and various things and how to, how to fix them. Let's just say you go through all of that and you find out that uh, the starter is the problem. Your car won't start because the starter is bad. Our election systems right now seem to be, okay, sure, we're going to let you know that the starter's bad, but we're, don't worry about that. Let's just uh, let's replace the left rear tire. Okay. That, you know, right. that doesn't make any sense. So coming back to the tasks and, task and standards, the idea of training and uh, the, the understanding of you have a job to do, it's spelled out pretty well you know, for the most part, adhere to it. And by the way, there's always someone who should hold you accountable to those standards, and that's we the people, not them the government. Boy, I fully agree with that. I, I, one of the big pushes I'm working on with a, another good friend of mine is youth training, but similar things where we're, we're not just giving, it's life skills. So we're you know, farm butchery, animal husbandry, gardening, uh, podcasting, I mean, I can go on a list of stuff, but really both old and new but everything again is is to try to establish like here's where you want to achieve to and try to get that in people's minds and especially our youth because there is such a lack of this and accountability you hit the key word that we end up with the whole generation and in my opinion we start to see some of these people melt down they've never had to face accountability for their actions and that's a, that's a real challenge. And so I, I'm kind of diverting back as you're developing this program with Grassroots. Are you bringing in youth or are you just right now for, more far focused on, say, the 10-meter, 20-meter target where you're like, okay, we've got to get some good people in this position and then we'll build the bench as we go along? How does that work? 
Well, the first thing I'm trying to do is basically plant a flag in each state. Okay. And typically what I'm looking for there is someone that does have the life experience and, and maturity to be able to handle that. Now, bringing in youth, absolutely. I'd love to have youth join them because I think between the millennials and, and just you know just younger than them are essential to this because uh, well, they're really the future that we're looking for, we're fighting for, and so we want them to be part of that fight as well. But uh, they bring talents and skills that you know, those of us of our ages don't really have necessarily all the time. It's you know, the technical skills, the Internet. and all, you know, It's a second language to us. It's almost a primary language to them. Well said. And it gets them... It gets them invested. Uh, and another thing you said that was that stuck out to me is that's been interesting that I didn't anticipate was I'm, you know, I spent years as an Army survival trainer. And I've had a lot of folks start asking me about what does it mean to, to, uh, to do that? I mean, how could they apply those techniques and things to their, to their uh, local area? And I said, what you're talking about is rebuilding a community. And one way to, to not be enslaved, I guess you could say, to a federal government and their overreach is to make yourself less reliable on them or reliant on them. And, and food, water, shelter, medical supplies, family needs. And we talk about some of that stuff. No, that's so dead on. And, and I, I love that because that's a lot of the county-by-county county model I've been working on. Yeah. And it's, it's literally, you know, he was saying the other day, if you want to talk about a radical act, grow your own food. Yep. And that's, that's a severe radical act in this environment. So, well, I'd like to stay in touch. I mean, I'll I, I get you back on the program down the way. And are you, have you set up something in Oregon, just out of curiosity? Uh, not yet. I've got okay. some. I'm, I've got some touch points, but nobody's really been like that's jumped on it. Uh, and we're with we're with you on the county by county thing, along with Sheriff Mack too. I think yep. we're all working in similar ways towards the same end. So. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of synergy here. We should we'll talk more offline on this. Yes. But I, I think there's some real synergy to bring some efforts together and to start really because we're we're really, really looking how to energize that with kind of the task and standards training type thing for county by county. So we'll keep in touch on that. But Sounds great. All right. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks, Josh. So great to see you again. Darren, you bet. Nice to <laughs> see you. Have a great day. You too. Okay, God bless. God bless you. The moment of truth. And there's a lot of people here. I'm going to guess. Mike said that there was about 1,000 people. I think that's probably close. It's pretty good. And um, just a lot of great people. That was just a fantastic interview we just had with Darren Gobb, who is co-founder and national spokesman of the Restore Liberty group. And if you want to know more about that, it's restore-liberty.org. Now, I know that from the live streaming point, there's um, I, we've probably had intermittent signal issues. We're, we're jumping off of a hot spot here. There's not real good internet. So what you do need to do know is that um, we are going to have all of these interviews posted and I'm going to break them down into like hour segments or so because this is a lot of live streaming and there's a lot of material so we're going to get that all broken down we've been going two and a half hours here on this one we went uh, three and a half on the last segment and then an hour before that so we've racked up some good I guess four hours on the last segment so we've racked up about six and a half hours today of content which is great going all day and we're going to get more tomorrow and all day so this is this is the real deal here and when i say that like here everyone is focused on doing something here and one of my big objections which we just talked about on the previous interview is that there's just 
on the on kind of the high level influencers in the nation. There's not enough discussion on what are you going to do to fix it. And what we're meeting here is people that are fixing it, and they're leading. So Darren Darren Gobb, who's just here, I mean, he's leading a group that is getting candidates involved. They're teaching people about the Constitution. Prior guest, same type said there was a sheriff. He's on the ground. He's doing his job, leading other sheriffs to do the same thing. I mean, we're just we're meeting person after person here. We had a woman here earlier who is just following God's will, and she's now traveled in 23 countries, and it's always about finding the one. I mean, this is, this is powerful times, and God is moving. God's moving powerfully in all of this stuff. And that's really the main focus and for all of us. And that is the one thing I will tell you that has, it's refreshing, it's exhilarating, it's beautiful. And what we are dealing with here is people that are all hearing the call of God. I mean, it's pretty much everybody. So when you start hearing that, you start to realize that we have the numbers. The remnant is bigger than we thought. As one person said earlier, remnant's so big now they can't call it a remnant anymore. He's joking. But this is good stuff. Really good stuff. Patriots, that concludes part seven of the interview series that we're putting together here from the Missouri event. All that was live streamed continuously for two days almost. And obviously there was a break overnight. 17 hours, I think, in the end. There's a lot of material there that will continue to be coming out as we move forward. But with that, let's pray. Father, we come to you just very blessed with this time that we have and the time that we share. Blessed in a nation that is starting to wake up. Blessed for the many that are hearing your call and coming to the events, standing and doing, getting their hands dirty and sowing seeds. Father, we continue to pray for those that are feeling that call to have the courage to literally get your hands dirty, to get dig into that soil, the spiritual and physical soil of our, of our times and our earth, to sow the seeds, to build the kingdom, and to reinforce it and to take it back from enemies' hands. Guide us, Father, in these times. Bless us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, patriots, as you know, I've been working hard on various aspects of this trip. I mean, listening to God and and when I say working hard, listening to God, following the, that light of Christ. And it has been an amazing journey. And it's one that I just continue to reflect on very deeply. And there's five things that I've been kind of tasked with in my life to do and the message that I'm conveying. And I just want to close with that tonight. We're trying, we need to get ourselves right with Christ. That means building that intimate and loving relationship with him as a two-way relationship, not just one in which it's ethereal and out of our reach. Christ is there and to be part of us and to walk with us and to bring us closer to Father. We need to pray for President Trump, not just praying for any random thing, but praying for a president that is a repenting president that accepts Christ in his life and praying that God will lead him to such a place that as a repenting president, he'll lead the nation in a prayer of repentance to bring us back as a nation and to guide the world this way. He has the power to do that. He's a man with great influence. We need to pray for those that are sowing seeds and to sow seeds deep spiritually and physically and to literally go through that part of building the bridges in our communities and building the bridges in our lives and to bring up that powerful glory and love of Christ in everything that we do and every walk that we make. We need to pray and work to build the bridges to heal 
First Nations and Last Nations, to bring Christ into the center of this and to bridge the differences of the blood rifts that have been put upon us, to set those aside and to step forward as one nation united truly under God. And finally, we need to be looking truly at the deep part of taking care of our children and our elderly. It's the arc of life to nurturing both. These things are important that if we were to each of us take those and do those in our lives, and you add to that even the seven pillars of county by county, I'm telling you this nation would literally transform almost overnight and all the power of the enemy would be stripped. We have the power. We were blessed with the power. We are the children of God. Walk beautifully and gloriously with Christ. That's the bottom line. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. Patriots, we are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you actually on Sunday night for Fishers of Men. But there's going to be some posts I'm going to put up for tomorrow and Sunday just regular podcasts to listen to, more interviews, which I think you'll enjoy. So until then or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose.
Thank、you